0: They are guides, all guides, and in unexpected places, you'll meet their friendly faces, and a ready hand besides, there's not much danger, of finding you're a stranger, for a commissioner or a ranger, they are guides, all guides. Hi, and welcome to Guides Own, the unofficial guiding podcast where we talk about everything guiding. I'm Taryn.
1: And I'm Marissa. In this episode, we're looking back at our time in guiding and talking about the things we wish we knew when we were youth members.
0: Mm -hmm. And if you know who else is likely to look back on her youthful years, Chelsea Clinton, who is not only a former Girl Scout, but also a former First Daughter and now champion of education for youth.
1: And what better way to wrap up an episode about reminiscing than with Linger, a campfire song about not wanting to part with friends and reminiscing about good times.
0: Mm -hmm. And before we get started, we want to send a quick shout out to a new listener, Katie. Thanks for reaching out to us, and we can't wait to get our new new badges in the mail, and keep a lookout for yours coming back soon.
1: Yes, we're excited. Um... For those of you who maybe skipped that episode or didn't hear, uh, we would love to trade uh, crest with you. I'm a big trader. Taryn's a pretty big trader, too. Mm-hmm. So we would love to, um, if you just want to send us a message through anything, through any of the social medias or to our Gmail, um, just let us know if you've got any badges you'd like to swap, and um, we'll send you an email back, and we'll send it over in the post. And Yeah, hopefully. The uh, hopefully it gets there within a reasonable amount of time. But um, badges hopefully. are pretty lightweight, so they're easy to send and don't cost an exorbitant amount of money.
0: Yeah. Um. So uh,
1: sorry, we'll get <laughs> right. <laughs> it's okay. We'll get right into it. Um. For the theme of what I wish I knew then. Um. Very interesting topic. I know Terence said she had a bit of difficulty coming up with ideas. But
0: Yeah. This kind of stuff always throws me for a loop when I have to try and think of it.
1: So I don't know if you wanted to go first or I can start off with a couple and then you can chime in. Oh go ahead. Start
0: first. Just you're the one who came up with most of this list.
1: (laughs) Okay. Um so one of the big ones that I always think about um more so now as an adult of course looking back is the amount of work that guiders or leaders put into just the meetings, um, but also like weekend camps, or even the trips, the trips are huge, a huge amount of work. Um, But I definitely did not appreciate that time that they took, um, putting into planning the meetings, running the meetings, um, handling the dues and the like, finances of the unit itself and you know spending time getting materials it's a lot of work and I realize now as an adult as a guider um, it's a lot of work and it's a lot of time and we don't get paid for it it is purely just volunteer so it's something that you know I wish I had more shown more of my appreciation to my guiders when I was a girl Um, Mm -hmm. I don't think they maybe got enough of appreciation
0: yeah um it always throws me how much work it is to plan a meeting like i find to like plan a fun camp or like a weekend takes probably as much effort as it does to plan like a meeting um like one of the hardest things with meetings is making sure you have enough for your time or, you know, whatever age group, one hour, hour and a half, two hours, um, making sure you have enough to fill that time, but not over planning it as well. Um, Mm -hmm. making sure you actually plan an appropriate amount of activities for your meeting versus a camp. Um, you can plan like either bigger activities or, you know, if you, um, run out of activities girls always found activities like other activities throughout the weekend that they were enjoying and want to go back to um and having some of that like just be able to squeeze in or go back and forth um yeah meetings are so much more work than i ever thought they were (laughs) i mean i've actually
1: found it easier to have girls first because there are so many activities on there that are just like Grab and go, you don't necessarily need to think of all the materials you need to collect to do things. There are some real simple ones, which I really like. Mm -hmm. But in general, it can be tough. And the other thing I really think is hard, um, and it might just be me, but I find it hard to gauge whether or not the girls are actually going to enjoy it because there's a lot of activities on there that they maybe might not be interested in. So it's always on in the back of my mind when I'm running a meeting or an activity, I'm like, are they actually enjoying this? Is this like a drag? Does it feel like school to them? Like, I don't want it to be that way. So yeah, it's, it can be a lot of work. And especially if you're going like in terms of doing safe guides, like we talked about in a previous episode, like you don't know like a yellow activity is a, a lot more paperwork than regular meeting would have so there's that too you have to think about things like that and if you have to go to a different location for something that's extra work because you have to make sure the parents know you have to arrange with the location if you're say visiting something like sky zone like you have to make sure it's all laid out and you have all the waivers done and it's a lot of work just to do something fun yeah um
0: and like you said Girls don't always appreciate it or realize how much effort you put in. Um, but when they do and when they really enjoy activity, you can tell. And it's, it makes it all worth it. One of my,
1: I have a really good short little story is, I think it was my first year as a Pathfinder Guider. So it must be t- three years ago. It'll be four years ago, probably this summer. We were having our spring camp in end of May, beginning of June. And the girl, uh, one of the girls was running it. Actually, was it two of them? I think there were two of them. Anyway, one of them, the one who had planned it, who had done all the paperwork, who had like made menus up, who had done everything and was starting to run it. She, I think it was, must've been the Saturday morning. She said something like, wow, like you guys do a lot of hard work. Like this is tough. I don't get, how do you do this? You guys don't get paid. And <laughs> it was just so funny to hear her say that and to come to this realization that, yeah, planning and running a camp is a lot of hard work. And she had only just gotten to Saturday morning and had to already realized this and thought, you know, like, there's so much more to do. And it's funny. Also, the other aspect she was commenting on was the fact that it was hard to get the girl's attention and how do you keep them on track the whole time and that's another thing right that your guiders put up a, with a lot of you know trying to get your attention trying to get you to stop talking all the time yep and, it's and funny focus but. yeah mm-hmm. yeah so um, it's just, guider appreciation is something i wish i'd shown earlier
0: definitely Um, Another thing on this list we have is um, it's okay to be different or unique um, that you don't need to Mm -hmm. conform to what's popular to have friends. Um, There's so much like social pressure of fitting in and, you know, having the same interests and goals and everything as, you know, your classmates or other girls in your unit. Um, And it's okay to, you know, just kind of shrug that off and be you and know, forge your own way. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I think that's what I like so much about guiding is that you just automatically, as soon as you join a unit, and I mean, some units differ, different, but generally, it's like every girl's on the same page. Everyone's in the same boat, so to speak, and they're there all for a very similar reason. So you're more likely to make friends easier that way, and you're more likely to feel accepted because the organization and your guiders um, have worked so hard to make it a, what they call it a safe space. So a a Mm -hmm. space where you can feel free to be who who you are and not get bullied for it and not feel left out. Yeah. Um, No one's allowed to be left out in guiding. Mm It's basically the way it works.
0: Yeah. And I know with our unit, we have some girls with really fun and big personalities (laughs) and letting them, you know, have that personality and you know it not be a big issue they can just be as wild and wacky as they want as long as they you know are respectful and listen to us when we need them to um, we really don't really police them on you know what isn't isn't allowed as long as they're being appropriate then we kind of let them be themselves yeah
1: you get some really unique ideas. And then also like the quieter girls who you don't know much about, sometimes are more likely to speak up because now they've heard like, Oh, this girl shares an interest with me. And because she's been allowed to like, just say, you know what she feels and mm-hmm. what she's interested in. I've learned this about this other girl. and Now I like share common interests. So now, you know, we're more likely to be friends, which is so important. I think I know as a shy girl going up through the, branches it was it was intimidating sometimes to join a new unit and I didn't know any of the girls and until I listened to the louder ones and found (laughs) out you know what their interests were then like I was more likely to speak up because now we had something in common so yeah but I was always so nervous about that about fitting in and I always felt like I had to conform to what they liked so that we had a common interest even if it was like fake at least I you know, I did. I hated being left out. Right? No one wants to be left out, alone Definitely. in the corner or on the side, and not get to be part of the group. So,
0: yeah, yeah. And that kind of leads into one of the next points we have, which is everyone else uh, probably feels just as insecure as you do, um, especially like we work with pathfinders. They're preteens, early teens um they are suit like it's a super insecure age group um and I'm sure all the girls every meeting are you know in their heads a little bit about whatever problem is going on that week and mm-hmm. everyone's in their heads just as much going through the same problems or you know little things that they're worried about that everyone else is noticing
1: hmm yeah I know. I think I, what did I write down? Um, Oh yeah. So (laughs) I know this was especially true when I was in Rangers, but a little bit in Pathfinders too is like, I would, you know, I'm a teenager. I would get pimples every so often. And Mm -hmm. thank goodness I didn't have like a huge acne problem. Um, I know that can be very hard to handle when you're, especially as a girl, but I mean, I think boys have it just as bad, but um, that pressure to look a certain way and to be, um not have all the pimples on your face right poking out Mm -hmm. especially if there's like white heads that was always the worst to me but i would try to cover them up because i was so insecure about the fact that like people would see a pimple and go like ew in their mind even if they didn't say it out loud like Mm -hmm. in my mind i'm like they're probably thinking it so you know i paid a lot of attention to my appearance um especially when i was in rangers too um but you know once you get to know the girls in your unit and once you get more comfortable um sometimes that can be a little more laid back and then you're like, okay, well, we all know each other. Things ha you know, you're a teenager, it happens and yeah. even if you think like your hair, for instance, doesn't look good that day, like I know girls agonize over that sometimes. And not every girl does, but some do. And I I wish I had learned to sort of let go about those kinds of things. But
0: Yeah, and like how it was. How many times did like you have a friend who was, you know, what might have been having a bad bad hair day and like you barely noticed or like mm-hmm. just kind of, you've noticed and shrugged it off. and was like, Oh, whatever. Like she's having a bad hair day. No big deal. Um, like we've all done it to other people. Um, they're probably doing it just as much. Like people <laughs> really don't care as much as we tend to think they do.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think um, another one sort of related to that is the whole taking care of your body um, and listening to it and responding appropriately. So, you know, for instance, the foods you eat can sometimes affect then like whether or not you get really bad acne that week or really bad pimples and spots popping up. Um, so, you know, eating a healthy diet, um, sometimes you can't control it. Um, and the other thing, portion that i always was not really good about was paying attention to my footwear and my feet so i would of course wear what was in style or in fashion and i used to love wearing flats um but flats have zero support for your foot Mm -hmm. um and i would get really bad foot pain from wearing them but like i would sort of push through and i think i've now like noticed like i cannot stand um just in bare feet, I usually have to wear a shoe indoors just so that like my feet don't ache and um, like I've started to get knee pain from it. So it's like, I I wish I'd been smarter about my footwear choices because I I feel like I've got um, a few like foot pain and knee pain problems because of that because I wasn't conscious of the decisions I was making and I just wanted to look nice as opposed to caring about my feet and their health
0: definitely um like your overall health like just making sure that you're getting to the doctor like when needed and like taking care of your body in that way and you know not everything can be spotted and detected early by like having your doctor there um with you and like the more you go to your doctor the more they know you the more they can tell when something's off um it can help you, you know, with whatever you need to get, you know, either physically or mentally better.
1: Uh, mm-hmm.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: Um,
1: another one, I think that is a huge one for me is the whole, don't be afraid to ask for help. And I used to hear that so much um, more so like, when I was maybe in high school a little bit more because you're at that weird stage where you want to be independent, but you don't necessarily know enough to be independent with everything. Mm -hmm. So often your mentors or your guiders or your parents, whoever is in your life that you look up to will tell you, don't be afraid to ask for help. But because you're at that age, you just want to be independent. You won't listen and you'll just sort of do yourself. And I was known for that. I would try to do things, Everything myself as much as I could until I got to the point where I was like, okay, I think I'm gonna get into, I'll get into deep or I'll get into some sort of trouble if I do not ask for help. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was always something I was afraid for, especially um, academically. I growing up had done pretty well in school, so when it came to a point later in high school when I started taking more difficult math and science courses, um, I there were times where like i struggled with a concept or i struggled with especially the math side of things my brain doesn't isn't a super math minded brain but like i ended up taking i think university level math in grade 11 and um i did fairly well but i i could tell i was struggling and i was afraid to ask for help i hated asking for help especially with the teacher like i just i always felt that it was a sign of weakness and i hated that and i didn't realize that like so many other people do ask for help and it's just like, it's okay to do it. It's okay to ask if you need clarification, if you need to, you know, sit with the teacher over like a lunch break and figure out how to do the formula. um, It can be so beneficial, but I think Mm -hmm. people, especially myself, I was worried I'd get judged for it and like, oh, she needs to go to the teacher for extra help because she's, you know, not very smart. It's like, I think it's just an old, like, um, idea that I had in my head all the way back from, like, elementary school, right, when kids would um, need extra help with things. And I think when we were young, we were maybe a little bit mean about that kind of thing, and it stuck with me all the way throughout. And so I I never liked asking for help. Even in university, I had a computer science course. I hated it um, because I just didn't like the way the teacher taught it. I, wasn't, I didn't understand his teaching and I hated, I didn't go, I never went in for extra help from the TAs or the professor. Like I just, I wouldn't do it because I don't know, it was pride thing. It was something that I thought I can just teach myself, but it was detrimental in the end. And yeah, I just really encourage girls <laughs> <laughs> to ask for help. Do not be afraid and don't think you're stupid for doing so because you're not. You're yeah. actually smarter for asking for help than for letting it slide. I think Definitely. I was not smart enough to know that it was okay.
0: Yeah, and I've had this problem at work, realizing when I need to ask my coworkers for a hand or let my boss know I'm struggling. Um, the same way, like I very much like, oh, I can do it. I'm you know strong, independent. I don't need any help. Um, but you know when I really needed it. Um, and when I really do need it, like, my coworkers are there to help me, like, just, like, I'm there to help them. And I mm-hmm. never judge them when they ask for help. Like, it shouldn't be an issue for me to ask um, them, but I always feel bad doing it. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's something, yeah. like you it, said, it's not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of strength, being able to reach out and tell uh, the people either, you know. Classmates or teachers or coworkers that you just need a little bit of a hand.
1: hmm Absolutely. I, yeah, I don't know why or when it's built into our heads. I think it's at a young age and it must be unfortunate, but yeah, it's, it's okay to ask for help. And yeah, it's a sign of strength. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. Um, and, that includes asking for help if you're struggling with mental health. Um, mm even with the huge stigma, stigma around it, um, reaching out and, you know, telling someone you trust that you're struggling, um, is always, even if you don't go any further than that, just sharing that burden with somebody will always make you feel a little bit better and help you with those struggles.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mental health is such an important thing too. And it's so different than from when we were girls, um, I don't even think I even thought about mental health ever. No. <laughs> like, I think the closest I may have gotten was, like, when we were talking about um, things like uh, period talk or, like, anything sort of like that about the body. But we never really ever touched on mental health. So, yeah. Yep. Something to be aware of too, as guiders, to let your girls know, I've tried to tell the girls as often as I can, like, don't be afraid to ask for help, especially when they've planned camps, because I know that can be difficult. It's Mm -hmm. totally new and they're not used to it. Right. And so if they need guidance on anything, I always tell them, don't be afraid, like, just ask us and we'll point you in the right direction. And yeah, I think sometimes they're also in the same spot. They're just a little either intimidated or they feel like they don't, need the help and are going to try to do it themselves but
0: Mm -hmm. yeah if a girl ever comes and asks for like asks for help i'm totally fine like try and find a time that like to sit down with them outside of meetings and go through it especially planning camps like that's a lot of work and it's hard especially when you aren't super familiar with all the forms you have to do um Mm -hmm. sitting down with someone who knows what they are and just you know them telling you like, Oh, that like, this is what they're asking for. in this super vague, unhelpful question. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Or like, this is how specific you have to be. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. And that kind of goes into another thing that we have written down is not everyone has the same skill sets. Um, Everyone looks at problems differently. Everyone has different skills. Um And you know one of the great things about guarding is that you get to work with so many different people with so many different sets of skills that you really come out with a really good appreciation of what different people can do and how different people can help you get through various problems, hmm
1: yeah, even through just your guiders each of your guiders will likely have different skill sets and like one of them might be super crafty another one might be better with things like navigation and orienteering and doing your knots and someone else might be better with the tech side and can help you get log on to girls first and figure out how to plan a meeting yourself and you know do the zoom videos and stuff like that um so amongst your guiders, but also amongst the other girls in your unit, some are definitely more art minded. We have girls who have been more math minded and said like mm-hmm. they love math, which is bizarre to me, but yeah, I don't <laughs> totally okay. One, maybe, but... And that's great. We need more girls in math. So if you love math, that's great. If you love science, you know, it's guiding is supposed to be that area where you can explore everything. So that's yeah. where you find all the skills.
0: And it's also super worthwhile, like, seeing people say, like, I'm not good at that. Like, I don't have, you know, I'm not strong in that skill. Um, And, like, admitting their weaknesses and having those people, like, your leaders who you look up to, admit weaknesses. Um, Mm -hmm. Lord knows, no one's ever going to let me live down the fact that I cannot tie a knot to (laughs) save my life. Um, And while we take it all with a huge like it's just one big laugh for us all but i think it's important for the girls to realize that you can be successful and you know good at so many other things and still be completely useless at another skill while important you know just because you can't do it doesn't mean you can't work with other people who have those skills and work Mm -hmm. as a team
1: yeah Absolutely. I think it goes back to that whole admitting that it's a weakness or asking for help. And I think especially for guiders, um, we might be, we might not know it, but we're likely put up on a pedestal. Like our girls put us up there as like being these great adults these great females and they don't have any weaknesses which is why it's so important to tell them like we have like you just said you admit that you're not great with knots and you often bring it up and LA one of our other leaders will tell us and tell the girls often that you know she's craft challenge but that's okay like yeah. she has other skill sets and they're great skill sets they're areas that I'm not very good at right mm-hmm. so I'm fine with that and I yeah I have challenges with math and science I'm not great at doing calculations in my head so someone else can do it that's fine with me I'd rather rather they get it right than me get it wrong so yeah yeah, it's if as guiders if you can admit a weakness to your girls and just share it they're more likely to accept their own and then you know be able to move on and pursue skill set that they are great at Mm
0: -hmm. um one of the last things we have written down is It's okay to be the age you are, um, which we have kind of touched on a few times. Um, But being a teen or a preteen, like, don't apologize for it. Um, Like, there's nothing wrong with being younger. There's nothing wrong with being older. Um, No matter what, you're going to have, like, the older generations are going to complain about you and say, you know, you're ruining whatever. Marissa and I are millennials mm. who are used to it. Um, apparently, yeah. we have ruined everything <laughs> that's you know ever been worth living for. Um, uh, but you know, yeah, it's it is what it is, and all you have, to, all you can do is kind of shrug it off and laugh it off and make it into a joke.
1: Yep, I think the other thing too about that is. Um, when you're at that age group that pathfinder age so like 12 13 you're preteen every year you just want to be another year older and you just want to be able to say for instance get your license or you just want to be in rangers you want to be able to go on those cool trips that the girl guides go on or then we get to that age it's like well now I can't wait to be in university and I can't wait to drink right that's (laughs) a big thing for teenagers and then after that it's like wow I can't wait to be able to you know move out on my own and it just keeps going and going and before you know it you your teenage years are long behind you and it's you didn't spend enough time liking or enjoying the time you were that age and (laughs) yeah and just you don't have to know everything when you're a teenager right you or an adolescent it's you're not supposed to know everything. And that's the beauty of it. You get to make mistakes and you get to fail and you get to try new things. And yeah, the things that come out of your mouth sometimes aren't always the smartest things and you'll have a laugh about it later, but that's okay. Like I remember I used to say funny things as a teenager or like I used to obsess over things like One Direction or um, Zac Efron, like things like that, silly things that I look back and I think like, oh, that's so like cringeworthy, but really like it was okay and that's just part of being a teenager everyone mm-hmm. has those faces and it's different it looks different depending on who you are but like in the end you're gonna have those moments and it's yeah. okay and I some girls like you know agonize over it but it, just want to be old enough to do things that you know just want to be an adult already but I think there's something about really enjoying those years and mm-hmm looking back on them fondly rather than as a blur that you don't remember anything about.
0: Yeah, um, definitely, you know, appreciate your time as, you know, a teenager in high school and university Um, and, like, do ridiculous things that you would never do otherwise. And be be safe. safe. Oh, definitely be, be safe. safe. about your choices. Don't go too wild. But at
1: the same time, you have to experiment with some things. Like, yeah. figure out, you know, if you want to have a boyfriend or a girlfriend, or maybe you just aren't interested in that at all. Like, experiment yeah. with that and figure out, like, what you do enjoy doing. So maybe you love – you You grew up playing hockey, and maybe you're suddenly realizing that maybe that's not what I want to do, and maybe I want to try something different. Like. Mm-hmm you know, do the things that you want to do and don't be afraid. And, you know, I used to, I used to feel because One Direction was kind of late in terms of my, I came to know them later than most people did. I liked them in high school and I was worried that, you know, people would think I was like too old for it, but I wish I had just like loved it and lived it because, you know what, everyone's got a phase and I don't think anyone should judge anyone else for that. So I used to worry about it. And looking back, it's like, who cares?
0: Yeah. Um, and the last thing we have on our list is something that Marissa and I both learned not even a year ago, maybe six months ago in
1: the spring. Yeah, it was in the spring. Yeah. Yeah. When my friend Amy joined us for a yeah, meeting.
0: Yeah, girl guides were in residential schools and it was used as a way to help uh colonize the um kids uh to the white way of life yeah um, which is definitely a problematic part of girl guide history and Scout history Scouting was there Mm -hmm. for boys um yeah but hopefully guiding's moved on a little bit
1: yeah i think um What I wish about that is that, so that's sort of out of your control when you're a girl. It's not like something you could have known. Um, But I am wishing and hoping that Girl Guides brings that in as an educational thing um, Mm -hmm. to the program. Because I think it's important. And I'm personally learning a lot more recently because I've taken a course um, uh, from the University of Alberta. Um, it's a free online course. it's massive, it's called a massive open online course. Um, so tons of people are taking it. And it's just so educational in terms of what's really happened to the indigenous people in Canada and what they're fighting for now, and having learned and heard from Amy briefly about the fact that they were in the residential schools, which were very harmful. Mm-hmm. Um, it was sort of a disappointment, but at the same time, I think, Girl guides needs to address it, and it just needs to be part of the girl guide history. I think if we cover it up, it's never going to be a good thing. And just need to say this is what it was, and you know, it's we apologize for it. We, you know, for whoever in our past, the past members, but um, move on and help others move on who are affected by it. I think super important. Because, you know, you grow up and you get to this age, right? And you're like, why didn't anyone tell me about that? Like, mm-hmm. I feel like it's sort of weird not, not knowing that part of history. So that's sort yeah. of what I'm going through right now is the whole, like, I wish people had taught proper history in school. I wish I had been taught more about the Indigenous Canadians because I was taught barely anything personally from my education background. Yeah,
0: it's definitely part of the Canadian education system that's failing. I think that's why, um, reconciliation, which we're trying to go through now has been, is a, so important and be so valuable. Like, um, the people who've chosen Canada as, you know, mm-hmm. the place we're going to live or our ancestors chose it for us. We need to acknowledge, um, like the harm that it did, Um, and as well, it's, you know, the only way you can move past it is by acknowledging and apologizing. Um, And then like teaching others, like take the time, teach, you know, the youth today what was wrong about it. Um, And then, you know, have the conversation and not necessarily move on, because that kind of implies forgetting about the problem, but move forward together and, you know, try and bring everyone up, like give, you know, those girls who struggled a hand up, let them, mm. you know, come into the world that the rest of Canada has. Yeah. Yeah.
1: You put it really well, actually. I don't really have much more to add. So, <laughs> Yeah. Right. There's just all these things that, you know, affected us as kids or more so as an adult. And you think you look back on your life and you think, yeah, I wish I had known some things as a youth or wish I had known to let things go in certain, certain areas. So hmm. not that I regret things about my life, but, you know, things I might have done a
0: little differently. Oh, definitely. Um, but I definitely had fun making those mistakes or making mm-hmm. most of those mistakes along the way, um, <laughs> which is. An important part, too, is, you know, while you're growing up, make sure you spend the time and have fun and be silly.
1: One mistake I definitely would never regret is joining Girl Guides. Um, I don't call that a mistake. No, that's nowhere near. (laughs) Um, And our She Was a Girl Guide, you know, Chelsea Clinton, most definitely did not regret joining the Girl Scouts.
0: Not at all. Nancy Reagan, Helen Hayes, Jan Davis,
1: John Sauvé, Carrie Fisher, Williams, Sister Shirley Temple Black, Tammy Duckworth, Kathy Frost, Candace Bergen, Lucille Ball, Demi Reynolds, Princess Margaret, Hillary Clinton. Did you know she was a girl guide? Busting down the door a hundred years or more. Did you know she was a girl guide? Here to let you know she was a guy, you know. Did you know she was? So Chelsea Clinton. What a wonderful woman. A guy, you know. Yes. Um, so I was actually saying to Taryn before we started recording that she's very unique in the sense that she has a lot of information. Um, there is a lot of information about her in terms of her early life and her childhood and adolescence, and not so much about her present adult life and her career. So it's a little bit of a switch and kind of nice actually to see. Yeah. A different sort of biography behind her. Um, so, Chelsea Clinton was born on February 27th, 1980, in Little Rock, Arkansas, um, and her name was chosen based on the classic Joni Mitchell song "Chelsea Morning." Uh, it's kind of a fun way to name your child—just uh, mm-hmm. your name in a song—and you think, "I like that." <laughs> Uh, she is the daughter, of course, of former U.S. Secretary of State and 2016 presidential candidate Hillary Clinton and the former U.S. President Bill Clinton. Um, so big name here in the United States or just in North America in general. We as Canadians, of course, have heard a lot about the Clintons. Yes. Um, when Chelsea was born, her father was actually serving his first term in office as the governor of Arkansas. And her mother was a partner at the Rose law, Form, law Firm in Little Rock. So they were both working in the same city. Um, but Chelsea was basically born into the fact that her parents were both heavily involved in politics and law. So life was busy already when she was born. Um, but despite their crazy schedules, the Clintons, of course, made her as their only child the center of their busy lives. Um her father actually kept a small desk for her in his office and they had breakfast every morning together. That was super
0: cute.
1: Yeah. When I read that, I thought that's adorable. (laughs) Um, And her mother actually would very often interrupt her schedule to talk to Chelsea when she would come home from school Um, And she would also help out on class field trips and would leave very loving messages for Chelsea at her elementary school whenever Hillary was away on business. So Mm. just these, like, sweet little thoughts. And, you know, you can tell they really care. And, I mean, being an only child, it probably made things a little bit easier for her to get the focus that she needed. But, um, yeah, can't imagine having to work both of them working full time and trying to take care of a child and raise them, you know, the way Mm -hmm. you want to, it's,
0: it's hard. But having Um, that desk in um, Bill Clinton's office, I'm sure she loved it as a kid. I would have loved being able to work in my dad's office. mm -hmm. Um, and just having that space to, I don't know, do homework, color. She was pretty little when her uh, dad was still governor. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And um, her parents, of course, also wanted Chelsea to sort of be more independent and also develop an intellectual curiosity. So they pushed her quite hard to succeed. Um, But thankfully, it worked out for her, for Chelsea. Um, She actually began studying ballet at the age of four. Um, She skipped the third grade and she learned how to invest in the stock market when she was barely 11 years old, which is So much further than me, I have (laughs) no idea about the stock market.
0: (laughs) I'm just starting to kind of figure it out now, maybe, sort (laughs) of. Definitely (laughs) not when I was 11.
1: No, it's very impressive. Um, Of course, Chelsea became a very strict vegetarian after reading an article in her life sciences class, which discussed the detrimental effects of red meat and what it does to the body. So, you know, she was very well-informed as she was growing up um, and started making her own decisions. So you can see that she was becoming as independent and intellectually curious as her parents had hoped. Yeah, Um, Yeah. so growing up, Chelsea was used to being shielded from her parents' very public jobs, Um, but that sort of changed when her father, Bill, of course, was elected. Um, the President of the United States in 1993. Um, She was all of a sudden sort of in the spotlight, so much bigger than before. Um, And if you think about it, she was a preteen at the time when her father was coming into office and they were becoming the new first family. Mm -hmm. Um, And Chelsea was experiencing a very intense um, scrutiny from the media. So it's you know, it's not a great time of life to be scrutinized by the media. If any time of your life, like this is probably the worst because of course, you know, she's entering a very awkward adolescent phase of her life and, you know, it doesn't really help because she was actually, you know, getting joked about um, specifically on her appearance. And I sort of recall some of the things I think if you see like photos or things of her and like, I don't, I think I remember hearing about things. um, I I was a a bit later in life, like looking back. Mm -hmm. Yeah. People used to make fun of her appearance, which was kind of sad. Yeah. But you know, the media will attack anybody. They will. Fortunately, her mother was actually following the advice of Jacqueline Kennedy um, on raising children in the White House, because of course Jacqueline had experience, um, and Hillary decided to ask the press to limit the coverage of Chelsea to her participation in just the public events and things like state visits, so that was the only time they could cover her. If she was leaving the House just to go to school or something, they weren't allowed to, so she mm-hmm. made a interesting decision there.
0: Yeah, and it's definitely one that I'm sure the future children of the White House, so the Obama girls and Baron Trump have appreciated over the years as well. Um, you know, having someone or having that freedom to, you know, be kids in a super public scenario or area of life.
1: Yeah. It's I can't imagine like being in that position.
0: Not at all. Um
1: yeah. What also helped, too, was um, Margaret Truman, who is the daughter of former President Harry Truman. Um, she supported the Clintons. And in that first year in 1993, in March, she wrote a letter to the editor of the New York Times um, talking about the damage that could be done if the press made Chelsea a subject of intense coverage. Because um, it is very damaging for <coughs> a girl her age, you know, later in life, especially. Yeah. Um, during her father's eight years in office as president, there were um, 32 stories in the New York Times and 87 network news stories about Chelsea, which is so many to be the subject of. Um, mm-hmm. And of all the presidential children preceding her, so before, she received the most television coverage. Um, and I'm sure it didn't help that technology was getting better and like news coverage was spread more.
0: Yeah, I wonder how much of that is just the amount of um, television coverage that the president got versus being in the nineties versus mm-hmm. the seventies or eighties um, where yeah. you know television coverage was much less of a thing.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the internet was like just barely starting at the mm-hmm. end of his presidency. So yeah, it's definitely a big thing. Um, Yeah, so outside of the White House, though, um, Chelsea's parents encouraged her to live as normal a life as possible, so she attended the Sidwell Friends School, where she excelled in history and science, and also began taking ballet courses at the Washington School of Ballet. That was something that she excelled in. Um, During her teenage years, in fact, she was so active and involved in extracurriculars and school and stuff like that, that she reportedly earned the Secret Service code name Energy. This um, <laughs> is kind of fun. Um, and her activities included pursuing a role in the Model UN, practicing for theater and ballet performances, and attending math camp. So she sort of had interests all over this place.
0: Yeah, I wonder if being the president's daughter made Model UN more or less interesting for her if she was able to help the other um, kids in her Model UN, you know, kind of Mm. understand the broader picture. It would have been a really interesting position to be uh. (laughs) in.
1: It would be. I can imagine she'd have maybe some extra help from dad or mom at home, right? (laughs) Because they both have a lot of experience in the realm of law and international relations. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um in April 1995, Chelsea made what some people would call a debut to the national media when she joined her mother on a tour of India. So the press was there, of course, and this was one of those times that it was allowed. And um, the press gave her very positive reviews, thankfully, and made special note of her intelligence and compassion. So she had been, you know, she was coming out and like growing up to be a very well-rounded individual Um, Mm -hmm. and the press thankfully made note of that and didn't poke fun at her um and then into her college years so in 1997 Chelsea made the decision to attend Stanford University in Palo Alto California with the intention of studying pre-med this decision itself was also like highly anticipated by the media they were all like Um, wondering like which college she would choose and um, apparently it was a big thing (laughs) it was exciting for them it became news um and of course um now as an adult she is a frequent topic in the press um you know she's made many headlines um specifically more about her romantic relationships of course um while she was in college she you know had a relationship with a fellow student um, as well as a former White House intern, (laughs) which is kind of funny to to read about. But um, you know what? Teenagers are teenagers. It's going to happen. So in addition to this pressure, this new, you know, she's now being followed by the media because she's an adult and she's no longer, you know, basically covered from by her mother. Um, Her sophomore year was also fraught with the complication from the news of her father's affair with um, another White House intern. Her name you most likely have heard is Monica Lewinsky. Um, But Chelsea was really good about it and she was actually the one who brought her family together um, both publicly and privately during this time, which was a really tough time for them. Um, And actually, in her mom's memoirs and Hillary's, um, she says that Chelsea was actually quite present during many of the meetings and was always seen with her parents. So Mm -hmm. that was kind of nice. She made sure that she kept the family together and made sure that the media didn't get the wrong side of the story. Um, And actually, when her parents were first seen together again after the news broke, she Chelsea symbolically clasped the hands of both her parents in public, just showing that you know they were here together as a family and they were gonna get through it. Mm-hmm. Um, so while navigating sort of those tricky social matters, Chelsea also had a very rigorous school schedule. Um, in her junior year, she changed her major from medicine to history um, and began work on a 167-page thesis project Um, she graduated with highest honors from Stanford in 2001 with a BA degree in history, which is much different than her pre-med, um, dreams of before. And then, um, she later went to Oxford University in England to pursue a master's degree in international relations. Um, she completed that in 2003 and again, wrote another huge thesis, 132 pages, um, and the topic was interesting. It was called the Global Fund to Fight AIDS, TB, and Malaria, a response to global threats, part of a global future. So she was very globally minded and, you know, was on top of the topics that were most important at that time. And we know that AIDS and tuberculosis and malaria were, were a big deal. Um... After sort of those years of being in university, she started working professionally. So after completing her master's, she returned to the United States and joined a consulting firm in New York City. And she was actually one of the youngest people in her class to be hired. Um, She spent three years there and then left to join the hedge fund um, called Avenue Capital Group. Uh, And then quite a bit later, she started to help campaign for her mother's 2008 presidential bid. And although not successful, um, it was a great experience for her, but Chelsea decided to explore new avenues, both in her personal and her professional life. So I think it was just the next year, November 2009, that she announced that she and a investment banker by the name of Mark Mesbinski were engaged to be married. Mark was a longtime friend of Chelsea's and also a fellow Stanford alumnus, so they had known each other for a while. Um, He was also the son of two former members of Congress, so I'm sure that helped the fact that they had known each other, I think, prior Mm -hmm. to college. Um, And he actually proposed over the Thanksgiving holiday, which is kind of nice and... In the United States, that's quite close to Christmas. That's less than a month away from Christmas. So I'm sure that was sort of a nice thing to do just before the holidays were going to come back up. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they got married then, um, yeah, the next year, July 31st, 2010. They had a 400-person ceremony um, that was actually very much shrouded in secrecy for months before the wedding. Um And actually the couple even shut down the airspace above the facility where they had their wedding in Rhinebeck, New York for the 12 hours surrounding the ceremony to just avoid the influx of paparazzi. So whether she wanted it or not, she had to do something about it to ensure that, you know, her, you know, things didn't make the front page of everything. She wanted Mm -hmm. it to sort of be a little bit more private. Yeah. Um, After that, she actually returned to school For one last time and this time she was studying health policy and management at Columbia University's Mailman School of Public Health. Um, She actually ended up transferring though in 2011 to Oxford to complete her Doctor of Philosophy degree in international relations. So she went back to Oxford instead to finish. And at around the same time, she actually joined NBC as a special correspondent. Um, and she would report on a series of stories called Making a Difference. Um, she was working then full-time and also studying full-time. So she had a lot on her plate. Um, yeah. She finished finished her dissertation in New York City and was her- awarded her degree Sorry, in May of 2014, which is not long after she also left NBC um, because she wanted to focus then on her family, as well as her father Bill's foundation, so she was busy. Yeah. Um, and if you can believe it, in April 2014, so sort of in between getting her degree and then leaving NBC, she announced that she was pregnant, um, and it was during an event she was attending with her mother for the Clintons Foundation. Um, she and her husband announced the birth of their baby daughter, Charlotte Clinton Mesvinsky, on September 27th, 2014. So, 2014 was a very busy year for her. She not yep. only announced her privacy, but she had her baby. She got she her finished doctor. Her... Yeah. Like, so many things. <laughs> um... And then they also have a son, Aiden, who was born June 18th, 2016, and another son, Jasper, um, who was born on July 22nd of 2019. So she's still got a newborn if you think about it, really. Um, yeah. Less than a year old? No, a year old. Just under two years old. So.
0: year and a half, yeah.
1: Yeah, quite young. Um, and then it was... Uh, Her mom, Hillary, who announced her second run for the U.S. presidency in 2015, I'm sure a lot of you are aware of that, made headlines, of course, Mm -hmm. sort of like how this one's going, Um, and she was running, again, the primaries against Senator Bernie Sanders. So Chelsea, of course, appeared on the trail for her mother over the months um, throughout the states, especially in ones like New Hampshire and Nevada, Um, and then when... She, Hillary became the official Democratic nominee in July 2016. She be, also became the first woman to, in the U.S. to win a major political party's presidential nomination. So that was a big deal. So Chelsea was there for her mother during that. Um, and on the final night of the 2016 Democratic National Convention, Chelsea actually introduced her mother to the delegates before her mom, Hillary, accepted the party's nomination. Um And Chelsea just said um, that feeling of being valued and loved, that's what my mom wants for every child. And she was very calm about speaking about her mom, um, talked about her as a driven and tenacious tenacious spirit, um, who encouraged curiosity, learning, and open discussion for her daughter. So Chelsea was very proud of her mom and made sure that she let everyone know it. she continued to be a champion for her mother on the campaign trail and tweeted about her support in a very emotional tweet on election day um however as we all know the clintons were rocked with a very stunning defeat when donald trump won the presidential election on november 8th 2016. um so after that loss, her mother's loss chelsea sort of made a habit of resurfacing in the news to support other Offspring of current and former presidents, because she had sort of been in that spot and wanted to make sure that these these other kids of former presidents or current presidents were you know being treated the mm-hmm. way that she had been treated, which you know was a big deal to her. Um, actually, in August of 2017, she responded to a reporter's criticism of then 11-year-old Barron Trump um, and his choice of clothing. And Clinton actually took to Twitter and declared it that it was high time that the media and everyone leave Barron Trump alone and let him have the private childhood he deserves. I know a lot Definitely. of people probably don't always agree with that because they don't agree with Trump, but you know, kids are kids, and it doesn't really matter. Like your parents' choice of your parents' choices in general shouldn't affect yeah. you. And, and poor kid, right? Like having to how these stories spread and about him, about basically just his clothing choices, like.
0: Yeah, he's, like, Baron's still a kid. He's not that old. He's still 14, 15, like, I don't yeah. know. Like, it's, he's that, it's that not important how old he is because no one should really be bothering what Baron's doing. He should be, you know, being as much of a kid as he can be. Um yeah. you know, if he turns eighteen and wants to be in public, he can do that. But until then, you know, everyone should let him be and be a kid.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um and she
1: of course also Chelsea was back at it again in November twenty seventeen to defend Barack Obama's older daughter, Malia. And, you know, Obama's been out of office for for more years at that point and people are mm-hmm. still sort of going over after Malia um and th- in this case it was a conservative site that was talking about Malia and a former who it, Malia as the fact that she was a former intern to of course the disgraced Hollywood executive Harvey Weinstein um and yeah she, Clinton uh, Chelsea Clinton just went off about it and how, you know, she said it She said it was loathsome, just loathsome. Please leave Mildy alone to lead her own life and keep her out of your shameful agenda. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that was a tweet that she sent. And, yeah, like, what are you doing, like, going after this girl who's just trying to figure out her life and, you know, what it's going to look like for her? It's, she's at that time, of course, she started attending college, I believe so. She's Mm -hmm. in the midst of studying and, you know, trying to figure out what kind of job she wants to have. And people are going after her about these decisions she's made. And it's just
0: ridiculous. Let the kids be kids. Let them, you know, figure out their own things. And they have enough going on in their life that, yeah, sure. Like, she was interested or still is interested in TV and film You don't know, like, you can't always, you know, say no to an internship. Yeah. You need to take it. Um,
1: To get the experience that everyone's looking for on your resume. (laughs) Yeah. It's hard. It's hard.
0: And, Um, like, you don't want to use your name to get that foot up.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's a tough situation that those kids are often in. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So apart from her career and her motherhood, Chelsea has also done, um, several things in her own time. So she has served also as vice chairperson of her father's Clinton foundation. Um, and she's also on the board of the school of American ballet. So she's still very tightly close to the ballet. Um, She also taught graduate classes at Columbia University beginning in 2012. So she was actually still, you know, a student herself as a master's, Mm -hmm. pursuing her master's and a doctorate, and she was teaching already. So that's impressive. Yeah. And then, of course, her Girl Scout roots come from, um, she was a Girl Scout. There wasn't any specific details about when or how long she was, but she does state that she's a proud alumnus. Um, She has also been a part of the Girl Scout through the Clinton Foundation. So um, June of last year, sh- her foundation and the Girl Scouts of the U.S. Um, came together for an event where they discussed um, civics education for youth. So they came together because they have that share- shared interest in fostering civic engagement, as well as the commitment to empowering young people through educational programming. So they you know, both share that interest of kids being... Um, educated on that and being educated at what the government is and how it works in the U.S. so that when they get older they know what the government is about and how to vote and how to, you know, raise awareness about issues um, like bills passing through. So, yep, she's been involved with Girl Scouts yet again as an adult, which is really good to see.
0: Yeah, and I was listening to something um saying that if you get someone to vote in their first election when they're old enough to vote, they're most they're more likely to be a lifelong voter than those youth or young people who miss that first crucial election.
1: Mm, so, that's a really interesting point.
0: Yeah. Um, huh. So raising that civic mindedness um, early and young in a um, place where it's a lot harder to make sure that you are eligible to vote on election day than it is here in Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, it still yep. blows my mind that they aren't just automatically registered to vote. I don't understand yeah. That, but. yeah.
1: It's funny because when I first heard about people talking about that at at one of the elections I was like oh like you have to register to vote and I was like wait do we have to do that here I didn't think we had to and yeah it's a big difference um one Mm -hmm. of the big differences between our two government systems yeah um there are other big differences too such as the party the way the parties work and the fact that they are two parties only Mm
0: -hmm. and Mm -hmm. we've
1: got sort of an unlimited amount um
0: yeah um for all our international listeners in Canada, you're automatically registered to vote based on um, your taxes. So if you file taxes, you don't need to pay or anything, but if you filed your taxes that, or the year before the election, you're automatically registered to vote um, and you're automatically mailed your voter registration card, which tells you where and when to show up to vote um yeah. yeah and
1: basically that covers a lot of kids because most of us have part-time jobs growing up so <laughs> if you've got when you work that part-time job and it's through like an employer who will do your um they'll get your t4 and then that t4 is sent off then to whoever does your taxes whether you do it yourself where you have an accountant or someone doing it for you um it's it's a pretty easy process and, like yeah. it's not hard to then be registered through the canadian government so mm-hmm. yeah i never remember it being difficult i just got my voter card in the mail and it's like oh cool sweet it just comes yeah. in the
0: mail the most difficulty i had was our last federal election was just after, or shortly after i moved to kitchener um so i had to go and tell them i had moved and um, tell yeah. them my new postal code so they knew which poll I should be voting at so they could tell me. Like it yeah. was five minutes. It was super easy. It's um, definitely
1: a different scenario up here.
0: <laughs> yeah. I think the hardest part was me finding the right website to tell them my <laughs> new <laughs> Um Yeah. Yeah, to all of our American listeners. Um, make sure that your registered to vote. Your election is ooh, coming up quick. It's about a month away so and let me tell you the world is watching
1: the world will be watching
0: it's a big election it is for everybody um and I guess we can leave off Mm -hmm. there and go to a moderately happier note with our campfire (laughs) song this week
1: um
0: yeah so our campfire song is linger Mm -hmm.
1: I want to linger, mm, a little longer, mm, a little longer here with you. Mm, it's such a perfect night, it doesn't seem quite right that mm, this should be a mess with you. Mm, and as the years go so by, mm, we'll think of you and I. Good night and not goodbye. Mm -hmm, I want to linger a little
0: longer, mm -hmm, a little longer here with you. Um, So, Linger is, um, I remember being introduced to it by my mom, one of the few songs that she actively introduced me to. Um, and she always told me it was one of her favorites. Um, but for whatever reason, even though I'm sure she taught it to me multiple times, not one of the songs that ever really stuck in my head, but always a song I've loved, um, mostly because I think it's one of those, it's a sad closing song to like the end of summer, end of camp. Um But the tune itself is fairly optimistic and mm-hmm. upbeat and kind of a nice balance between um, the end of something, but not really. I think the last mm-hmm. line of the song really sums up the whole song, which is, and the last line is, "This is good night and not goodbye." Um, so kind of, you know, it's we're heading off to bed we're you know going off to whatever directions we head to you know after camp but like we're still friends we're still we'll still you know meet up and hang out again all that yeah
1: I know this song wasn't necessarily taught to me as a girl but I think I just heard other people singing it or I heard it other places and then i thought oh i really like this song and i really do like the tune um it is a nice one and i think it is probably in my favorites Mm oh we'll have to do an episode about our favorite camp songs i think once we're further in get our our top fives (laughs) that'll be so hard to choose i think this one is in my top five though
0: yeah
1: oh maybe top 10
0: (laughs) (laughs) i'm writing it down
1: it's a really sweet song i do like it um and like you said, it's sort of like it's it's got both like sort of a melancholy, sort of sadness to it, but it's also a little bit sweet and happy in the tune. It's it's not too sad to listen to in terms of the tune. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's sort of a little bit of both. It's a nice song, and uh, it has some humming in it, which is nice. Um, yeah,
0: um, like so many songs that we have tried to find the audio clip to, um it seems like Americans sing it slightly different than at least how I was taught. Um, I was taught the last word of each verse. Um, You kind of like go down half a note or so versus they would either go up or stay the same.
1: Hmm. I'll Um, take a listen to some. I didn't do that ahead of time.
0: Yeah. But other than that, nothing was really different um once version i saw made so each verse is traditionally three lines one saw one version i saw made each line four each verse four lines splitting hmm. the last line two which i thought was a little strange not all of them have a logical point to split those into two but yeah um yeah Again, no real history on it. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: I feel like that should be a job for somebody at Girl Guides is to be a song campfire song historian and figure out where all these songs come from.
0: Yeah, like, so many of the copyrights I've seen through our 30-odd episodes we've done is all, like, the 80s or 90s, and there's no way these songs are... 30 young. 40 yeah. years old like <laughs> if my mom was singing them as a kid like the song wasn't written in the 80s she's not that young um <laughs> if she was that young i'd be concerned because that means i would be i wouldn't be here but yeah yeah <laughs> um yeah um unless you have anything else to add marissa That brings us to TAPS at the end of our episode. So make sure you subscribe to to the podcast on your favorite platform, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, uh, YouTube, wherever you find your podcasts. Um, Make sure you give us a five-star rating and a review to let us know that you're listening and enjoying.
1: And you can also follow us on social media. We're at guides own We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. If you count that as social media, <laughs> um, follow us there to keep up to date with our newest episodes for any podcast news and even some behind the scenes bits. And if you want to contact us um, sort of privately, you can message us too at our Gmail, which is guides own at gmail.com. Or
0: mm-hmm. right, as we part, we wish you all
1: good guiding. <laughs> Good guiding. Day is done, gone the sun, from the lake, from the hills, from the sky, all is well,
0: safely rest, peace is nigh.